Welcome to the Family Biz Show, where we dive deep into the fascinating world of family-owned businesses. I'm your host, Michael Columbus, and in each episode, we'll bring you inspiring stories, practical insights, and expert advice from successful family business owners and industry thought leaders. Hidden in this grandparent-grandchild philanthropy and in the process is actually young children learning to ask for something in a very safe environment. This is step-by-step, paint-by-numbers, Get your strategy mapped out system. Join us on this journey as we uncover the unique challenges and opportunities of running a family business. The best part about it is that the guys in the field didn't treat me as the owner's son. I was just another guy. But I think what's super unique about our story, we lost the business and we got it back. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's dive right into the next episode of The Family Biz Show. Well, welcome everybody to the Family Biz Show. I'm your host, Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. Um, and we've got a great show for you today. We've got Johnny Ro- oh, I knew I was going to do it, Johnny. I had it in my head. Uh, Ramana Dacus. Did I get Ramana Dacus. Ramana Dacus. I add- and 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 in full disclosure, everybody, I practiced this three times and asked it in advance. Okay, Johnny Romanodakis from Netcom, um, third generation family business. We're excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm really excited to be here. And it's even more exciting to share that I'm not going by my real name, which is Evangelos Yanis Romanodakis. That might have been a little <laughs> bit more difficult. To <laughs> you can call Thank me you. Johnny and we can leave the last name out. There you go. Thanks, Johnny. That's awesome. Um, so tell me, you know, we have the a tradition, your third generation. What was your journey into entering into the family business? What did that look like? What did what was happening before? Did you spend time outside of the family business? Did you just go straight in? What was your journey into the family business? Yeah, I so to start, I had no intentions of joining the family. <laughs> um, I started at Netcom in college as an accounting intern during the summers, um, did some work on the shop floor, doing cycle counting and things of that nature. Uh, it was good summer cash uh, for my break from the University of Iowa. Uh, and then I went into graduate school to get my master's in finance, in which I thought I would do what most of my peers were doing and get into banking or, or some other exciting finance career. But it didn't take long to working at Netcom to realize, A, the people I was surrounded by were incredible and it, were literally family, but also the ones that aren't literally family felt like family. And uh, B, working in a small business, you get to learn a lot and uh, wear many hats. And I just fell in love with the culture here and, and the idea of growing a business. Uh, it was very exciting to me. And so, you know, that was when my grandpa and I decided it made sense for me to take over the finance department, finance and accounting department at Netcom right out of school. Uh, and the rest is kind of history. That's awesome. So your grandfather started the business. What was Netcom? You know, when when was that? And what was he doing? How did the company make money when he started the business? It's a, it's a true... Um, you know, American dream story. So my grandfather immigrated here from Greece um, and came here to get his electrical engineering degree at the University of Illinois. 
he had some family uh, that lived in Champaign, Illinois, which is now where the University of Illinois is. But back then, uh, the University of Illinois was in Chicago. So he was commuting <laughs> from Champaign to Chicago five days a week to go to school. Um, ended up getting his master's in electrical engineering and uh, starting his career at Motorola. And he was tasked with, I'm not sure if you've seen Saving Private Ryan or some of those old uh, war movies, but the, the guys that carried around the backpack with the big brick like uh, radio. So sure. he, was, he was tasked with uh, reducing that radio in size by a factor of 10. Uh, that was the first project he worked on at Motorola. Um, he had a great career there. And uh, after, I'd say, seven to 10 years, he decided that he wanted to kind of go off on his own um, and, and start a business that designed and manufactured RF filters or radio frequency components that Motorola would end up using in some of their systems. Interesting. Um, and what does the company do today? So today, we haven't deviated too far from uh, our roots. Um, in the 70s, when he started the company, we were making RF filters, um, crystal, crystal filters, um, <clears throat> and various types of analog components. This was before digital components were a thing. Um, yeah. Today, we're still making RF filters, but they're digital. So there's firmware embedded in them, and uh, they're controlled through some digital interface. Um, so they perform the same function of filtering out the unwanted signals in a communication system, uh, but just in a little bit of a different way. Awesome. And you've been now with the company for how long? I've been working at Netcom for eight years. I uh, joined in 2016. So uh, a little less than eight years. Okay. And so if we look at your, you know, so it's your grandfather, your father or mother involved, who, who's in the second generation? It's my mom's dad. Uh, okay. And so I get to work with my mom's twin and her other sister every day. Um, unfortunately, my mom doesn't work at the uh, business, but she does provide us a lot of consulting services on the human resources side. Um, and then my uncle was uh, involved in the business, but he moved up north and now runs a uh, awesome fishing and snowmobiling resort up in the north woods of Wisconsin. So yeah. I don't get the oh, chance to work cool. with him either. So how many family members total have been involved or are involved in the business? Have been or are probably close to 10. Um, yeah. <laughs> now... Right now, there's uh, three family members, four fam three family members um, actively involved, um, and then a fourth kind of consulting. Okay. Um, from your perspective, you know, as the are you the youngest family member involved now? Yeah, I am. Uh, sometimes my younger cousins join. They're now kind of in the situation I was in when I started. They're uh, both students at the uh, University of Arizona and. Um, Arizona State. So sometimes during the summers, they'll come and work with me for some summer money, um, okay. some beer money. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Um, what for you are some of the the best parts of being part of a family business? I think the trust element is 
something that um, you know I think about a lot. It's it's really um, a blessing to come to work every day and to be able to just leave your door open and to know that nobody's going to walk in your office and look around or that you're not going to have to worry about you know someone um, you know doing anything deceitful or or some of those horror stories you hear about in the workplace. Uh, just trusting everyone I work with is um, is something I don't know if everyone has that opportunity. So I love that part about my job the most. Okay. What about, what are some of the tough parts about being part of a family business from your perspective? Well, it's a Greek family and we all have a lot of opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, usually all of our opinions are right. So um, it's uh you know, there's, I don't know if it's, if difficult the right word, there's, um, uh, there's challenges with working with family that uh, sure. sometimes are, you know, easy to overcome and sometimes aren't. Um, it's never, it's never uh, a good thing to, to ha you know, have like disagreements with people in general. I'm kind of a conflict averse person, to be honest. So I don't really enjoy disagreements with anybody, um, especially with my family. But on the other hand, uh, kind of going back to that trust element, at least when there is, um, you know, something that maybe me and another family member don't agree on, it always ends up working out because we trust each other and have great working relationships. So, um, yeah, there's difficult moments, but for the most part, everything about working with family, in my view, is better than not working with family. That's awesome. There's, um, if you're a, a reader, um, there's a book out there by Patrick Lencioni called yeah. five, Dis five dysfunctions of a team. And, and, you know, for that, for that conflict avoidant personality, I tell people all the time, conflict is good. Disagreement is good. It just needs to be healthy, right? And it needs to be respectful. And if you can do that, then, you know, out of conflict usually comes something better. And, you know, there's never, there's, there's not a movie that, that ever was successful that didn't have conflict in the movie. That's what makes things better and good is, you know, we challenge each other. Um, and then it's that ability to, you know, commit to the, the path forward because you trust each other to make it, to make it work. And I think you said it about spot on trust is the foundation. It's okay to have conflict, but then we commit to what we're doing to, you know, to move forward. It sounded like it was right out of Patrick Lencioni's book. That's funny. I mean, it leads to better outcomes, like you just said. Um, getting diversified thoughts, uh, different perspectives. Like I mentioned, I'm the third generation. So, you know, at some points, there's three generations of perspectives, you know, and on the conversation, um, which ultimately leads to better decisions in the end. Sure. So I think it's a good thing. You're, so your grandfather's still involved in the business today. My grandfather's not involved in the business anymore. Unfortunately, um, I lost my grandfather earlier this year. So that has been uh, really difficult. Um, it's been really difficult for myself and, and the family. Uh, it's definitely an adjustment. Um, you know, he was kind of like the guy in my corner where if, you know, I ever needed to talk about something or needed help on uh, maybe a private um, issue that I wasn't comfortable talking about with the team or something like that. Um, he was the guy. So the last eight months have been, you know, an adjustment period and difficult, but um, I think it's made me and, you know, 
some of my other family members come together and, and become closer and, and we started to work together, um, we've become stronger together. So yeah, it's been difficult, but he's not, uh, not with us anymore. I'm sorry about that. Um, walk me through, if you don't mind sharing, you know, so you just went through, it wasn't planned. Your grandfather's, you know, not, not here any longer. Um, what was the succession plan? Like, did you have a succession plan before your grandfather? Was there something in writing that everybody had talked about? And then now you're, you know, you're going through that. How did that work out? Uh, I think that's actually another great example of why trust is so important. We didn't have a, a formal succession plan. We never worked with a, um, uh, you know, an attorney uh, or an estate planner to to really iron that all out ahead of time. Uh, you know, there's there there are situations in which you know a lender, someone may ask, what's the next steps. Um, and we always had an idea of, of uh, kind of the pecking order of how things would play out. But uh, no, we never had like a formal written succession plan um, in a trust or anything like that. You know, it really became, uh, it really had, you know, unfolded uh, as the family kind of took it day by day and, um, you know, moment by moment, just kind of ironing out how are things going to go. Uh, I was promoted to president two years ago. So, you know, I'd been, you know, operating in this role, um, you know, with my grandfather still around for many years. So kind of the roles and responsibilities in the, in the organization didn't, you know, weren't impacted too much, but there's a lot outside of, you know, the day-to-day -day that we had to navigate. And, uh, you know, we just kind of did it as a family and, and uh, things are, you know, working out. It's a lot of times when those, circumstances arise it doesn't always play out um as amicably as, as it has in your your situation that's awesome i'm really happy for you yeah i mean i think that you know there there's um i've sought advice at times and you know many many people might um you know, caution me. Um, I, I was going to say, Sam, that that we're crazy, but you know, not that intense. You know, caution me on uh, not having, uh, you know, types of plans like that in place, like a succession plan or whatnot. And, I, you know, I grew up in a family, um, you know, that I was blessed to grow up with where uh, we, there was just this element of trust and, and camaraderie and um, these were not things we worried about. I'd be lying to you if I said that, you know, kind of going through um, the last few years and, and hearing other views um, that it wasn't something I was concerned about or thought that we should have, or, you know, if we could do it again, um, would it be something that I'd suggest, hey, maybe we should take a, um, a more serious look at this. It just, you know, it happened to work out for our family, which is great. But, um, you know, I've certainly heard a lot of a lot of horror stories where uh, things don't work out as great. So pretty appreciative of that. Perfect. Um, so in your role today, you're the president of the company. How does, you know, how does the how do the roles break down between family and non-family members? If you look at like, you know, the leadership team at Netcom. 
how does that break down? How many family members versus non-family members? And tell me about like kind of your communication rhythm um, and, and decision-making process for, you know, how, how you're doing things there. So that's still unfolding. Um, you know, I think like there are the day-to-day -day decisions, which, um, you know, I, I generally, you know, handle. Uh, so things like hiring or, um, you know, refinancing uh, our line of credit or any operational uh, issues I pretty much handle uh, if they make it to my desk. Um, but then there's like broader issues that, you know, if we're talking about um, any types of big investments or, uh, you know, kind of a longer term vision for the, the company will get together as a family. Uh, it's not a hundred percent owned by my family. There are other shareholders involved. So we do annual shareholder meetings, um, and annual board of directors meetings. Uh, so there's, you know, kind of your typical corporate structure with the shareholders, the board of directors, um, and then the management team, which is, you know, there's two family members on that team. Um, but, you know, I don't, it, I mean, if you put, if you, if I put an org chart together, you know, there's names on that org chart and some of them are family members, some of them are not. Um, however, like me and the family, even those that don't work in the business, everyone has a voice. And so there are many times in some of these bigger decisions where we'll just get together and have a casual meeting and talk about things. Um, so that's pretty much how we're working things out right now. No, and this is how, you know, just so you know that when we're having these discussions, there is no right or wrong. It's just is and what's working or what's not working for your family as you're going through and the shareholders that, you know, may not be family members. Um, and so it's just interesting for us to have these conversations. I never know when somebody else is sitting there going, I'm going through this and everybody tells me I'm crazy, but it's working for us. I'm not going to change what's working. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> you know, there's this uh, old Greek saying, I don't want to mess it up, but it's uh, it's that, you know, something's not broken, we fix it every day. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, I'm not saying that the way we do things is, is perfect, it's uh, pretty ad hoc, but it works for us. Right. What is, um? so you, how often do you, you, shareholder meetings, is that just an annual shareholders meeting? Yeah. Do do you mind? I mean, how many shareholders are there? Roughly, is that met? Yeah, I mean, there's about, um, you know, there's there's uh, three shareholders that own like the majority of the company, over two thirds okay. of it, and then uh, there's a handful of other shareholders um, that have been in the capital structure um, for years, yeah. decades um, since. Yeah. Uh, you know, since the company was started. My grandfather had a really great team that helped him grow the business. Um, you know, something I didn't share is that, the, you know, he grew the business to be quite successful uh, and had an exit in 2000 um, and sold the private equity. And, you know, that, that uh, it just didn't pan out after about 15 years or so. Uh, the, the PE group decided that you know they were going to go in a different direction, uh, sold the company back to to my grandfather. So that was like about a year or so before before I joined. 
Um, so there was a decent period of time where, you know, the family wasn't heavily involved in, in the company, although there were still family members working for the company. Um, you know, that was uh, an interesting twist on the story. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. So it's, you know, there's, um, I don't know if you follow her at all. I had Stephanie Stuckey on the show um, and yeah. Stuckey's peanut, you know, or not peanut. Oh, I just said the wrong thing. Pecan logs. Um, so you're going to smack me if I, if she hears that. Um, but, you know, they had, um, you know, private equity group had had it and she had the opportunity to buy it back. Um, and so it was her grandfather's business. And it's kind of cool that, you know, to have that moment where it's all right, we, we're back again. Here we, here we go again, you know? Um, yeah. I think God, uh, what were you going to say? No, I, I just, that it's interesting that that opportunity arose and, you know, now you're back in full throttle, you know, several different, you know, shareholders, a lot of family members in the business again and, and heavily involved. Yeah, I think it's great. And one of the cool things about it is that uh, there's a lot of employees that, you know, were here for that whole um, period of time from when my grandfather started the company or early, um, you know, in the after following the transaction, we sold part of it um, until he bought it back. And so, you know, there are people I work with right now that literally changed my diaper. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's really cool that, um, you know, although the family wasn't necessarily uh, entirely involved in the business, uh, the culture kind of, uh, you know, was upheld. And, and a lot of people have worked here for 20, 30, 40 years. Wow. That's great. So um, you, you interview a lot of family business, um, yeah. family business owners. That's right. Um, and so you've probably had, you know, heard a lot of, um, you know, different types of, of cultures within family businesses, but would you say it's, it's normal on average, uh, your family business typically has like a longer, um, employees stay with the business longer than maybe your, your corporate jobs? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, it's, there's, there's a statistic that runs around through the family business world that says, you know, the, um, it's, it goes back to shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Right. And so it's like, you know, the first generation starts it, the second generation manages it and the third generation loses it. And that's, and, and and so here I am talking to you right now, but it's, yeah. you know, it's what, it, I think it's like 3% make it into the fourth generation yeah. um, and make it through. And so, right. it's, but, it, but at the end of the day, you know, so if you think about that in terms of generations, um, the business you're running is about how, when was it started again? 1977. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're going on 50, you're almost 50 years old. Yeah. The, the average company that goes through the stock market isn't 50 years old. <laughs> That's right. You know, and so so we, we talk about this horrible statistic of only 3% make it and it's the doom and gloom. And, and the, the, the real simple reason is just there's a lack of communication. As the generation starts to get further and further out, you go into the cousin generation, which is where you're going into now. Yeah. The, Trust isn't the same because we grew up in different households. 
communication starts to break down. And when you have communication, just exactly what you and I started this whole conversation with, when you start with trust and you have good communication, you can make it through anything. That's right. Yeah, you know? it's actually funny you bring up that statistic around the time uh, my grandpa and I were talking about, um, you know, me taking over in, as the president. I was like, you know, the odds are against me. <laughs> it's more <laughs> likely that I'm going to fail than succeed. And uh, he had a lot of trust. So I felt and, and when I, I think that you're, you know, by noticing that, and, you know, it's, they call it governance. And all corporate governance is how do we make decisions, right? Family governance is how do we make decisions as a family? And, you know, with three different main shareholders, the big thing is, you know, do we have rules in place so that when we get to a point where maybe somebody wants to go in a different direction than everybody else, it everything's always good until it isn't. Yeah. And so so buy sell agreements and and succession plans you can always flush them if everybody agrees. And that's the part that everybody forgets, in my opinion, is that you do just because you have a succession plan, just because you have, you know, a, a really well-defined buy-sell agreement of how you're going to do things, you can always flush it if you choose to do that together. Exactly. Nothing's written in stone. Uh, there's a lot of iterations on things like this as, as, years go on things change um time horizons for individuals change uh in terms of their retirement planning um and even like you know not such like a, at an ownership level but um just thinking back to the pandemic and you know agreements we had with customers and suppliers um on the supplier side like some of these just-in-time inventory uh programs or these stocking programs that we had in place you know evaporated they're, they're just, this material didn't exist. So, <laughs> you know, how, how are you going to say, hey, well, we had this agreement in place. Uh, well, it's it's not there anymore. So things change in business all the time. And yeah. uh, better to at least have something to lean on than nothing. <laughs> right. And, and so the document's great. But then to go back to what it really is, at the end of the day, I, I explained to everybody, when you, when you say what business is Netcom in, if, if somebody asks you, what business are you in? Most people come back and say, what? Well, we're in the telecom. We're in the, you know, whatever. Yeah, electronics, manufacturing. Electro or... Yeah, you're not. And this is the part that I, I, once I, once people hear this for the, and, you know, they've heard it before, but once they hear it again, they're like, oh, I have to remember that. We are all as business owners in the people business. That's right. That is that comes first, and that's because the you know you can make the best electronics components on the on the planet, but if you don't have trust and good communication with the people that you supply, with the people that you sell to, with the people that work with you and for you, where where are you going? And so yeah. that's that's the we skills. Have, uh, we have some we have some pretty expensive equipment on our floor that that places tiny components on our PC boards, you know to the to the most precise location you can imagine. Um, and, you know, I've always been raised to know that our, our most valuable assets, the people in the business. And so, you know, there's just, there's not a number you can put on that um, because without us, meaning the people, my colleagues, um, there is no business. Yeah, a, a thousand percent. 
So talking about that, and, you know, it's really interesting. You brought up, you know, all bets are off when, when COVID happened. And now, you know, again, I apologize. And my heart goes out to you. You lost your grandfather, but you're, there's, we, we talk about this. There's a, a, I think he's an organizational psychologist. His name was Bruce Tuckman. And he came up with this, you know, diagram that I think helps people to see this stuff. And it's forming, storming, norming, and performing. Okay. Those are the four quadrants. And every leadership team, whenever there's a change, it has to go immediately back to forming. You, after, you know, the loss of your grandfather, you're in the forming stage. You're building out that leadership team again. You're going to go through that. Then you're going to go into that storming stage, which is we don't agree with the direction and the strategy. And we got to work through all of that stuff and make those things. I'm making you laugh because that's exactly what's happening, right? Yeah. And, and and I love this stuff. And it's like, you know, the reason why we coach it and why we teach it is so that people can see it. When you see that image to say, oh, that's where I'm supposed to be, that makes it all better. And then if you lose somebody on the leadership team two years from now, guess what? You're right back to forming all over again. And, yeah. and that all goes back to people. How do I hold people accountable? How do I develop my leadership team? How do I get the people to agree on the strategy? How do I create a culture at Netcom that, you know, how do we continue to keep this culture in a place where we continue to have trust, we continue to communicate? Yeah, I mean, that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, I think this phrase gets used a lot, but, you know, kind of what you're pointing out is it, it really matters about having the right people, not only the right people, but having the right people in the right seats. Yeah. Um, and Jim so, Collins. Yeah, that's a classic. Um, but it's so true, you know, because over time, just like we were talking about things in the business world or whatnot, um, if people's skill sets change, people's interests change, people's motivations change. Um, and so, you know, just keeping someone uh, on the staff because maybe they have like the right values, uh, but don't want to do <laughs> what they're doing anymore. It doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. you know, you need to align all, all of the the cultural and the skill sets and all of those things um, to keep the organization moving forward. I mean, so you've talked to your grandfather many, many times and you've, you know, been working side by side with him for years. When you look at the leadership team and the changes that have happened at Netcom through the years, how do they navigate some of those things? And what were some of the reasons that leadership positions needed to change or more for, you know, talk about that for a little bit, if you don't mind. You know, one that uh, comes to mind first is um, our production manager, our, our director of operations. Um, he looked at my grandfather like you know a father figure they were very close uh they would talk every night at about five o'clock and uh you know shipments were important to my grandfather making sure our products left the dock got to our customers on time and uh and, and that was this guy's responsibility and they like i mentioned they spoke every night and i'd, I'd be lying to you if i said i wasn't concerned about what was going to happen when they couldn't do that anymore. Um, you know, I kind of thought about that for myself and um, I, I, I thought about that for myself and putting that aside, um, I wasn't sure exactly how he was going to handle that. And it, it's incredible. 
it's like all it's like he distilled years of 5 p.m conversations down to a few values and a few skill sets and just kept doing what he had been doing for the for many years prior and just excelled you know his, he's got his own method um, to how he's planning his shipment schedule uh, he's exceeding our targets I mean this guy got out, you know, he doubled production on a single product um, in a month, uh, you know, just because we said, hey, we need to do this. And he figured it out. So it, it was just, you know, the, the team, I think, um, was so close to my grandfather that there hasn't been a lot of changes since then um, in terms of people getting on and off the bus at all, actually. Uh the changes have been how people have kind of carried themselves and, and taken things that they've learned from him and started to apply them in their own ways, which was really cool to watch happen, to be honest. Oh, that's fantastic. It's exactly what you're hoping to do. And a lot of times people don't realize it, but you know, the you can only rise to the level of the top person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and so sometimes, you know, and, and I'll just take a, a company that I can think of off, off the top of my head. They might have somebody in finance and they don't, I'm just making this up, but like they've got somebody in that, in that finance position that they've relied on for their whole life. And they did a really great job of helping them to get to where they are right now. And that person leaves and they bring in somebody else who is like, why was it done this way? And before you know it, the finance department is like double capacity. They're making, helping make decisions that, you know, they're like, didn't even know that these, you know, these kinds of decisions could be made, that we could get, you know, data this way and that we could help, you know, make these things happen. And it's, you just don't know what you don't know as, as the CEO sometimes or the president of the company, because it's just like, it's hard to do be everything to everybody all at once. And, yeah. and, and so it's, I, you know, you go back to what Jack Welch used to do, Jack Welch at uh, GE, where he would take the bottom 10% of performers and, and, you know, get rid of them. And that threat mm-hmm. of that happening to people made people rise. Um, I think the, the other side of that is that as we're growing companies and growing people, you have to be cognizant of the the fact that, you know, yes, you have loyalty to this person, but there might be new things out there that if you're not investigating what's happening in these different areas, um, you could be hurting yourself from a company standpoint. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's like, you know, many things there's, there's kind of a range of what works because, um, you know, I've actually heard our, our head of engineering use that phrase, we don't know what we don't know, many times recently. I mean, technology in our industry changes, you know, really fast. And uh, when you hear the leader of that, that uh, division of our organization, you know, being open and vulnerable to the fact, hey, we don't know what we don't know, and being open to, you know, let's go talk to this, you know, company and see what they're doing, or let's go, you know, look into uh, new ways to use AI to do um, things on our production floor that we hadn't been before. You know, I don't know how to do it, but let's find someone that does. And just kind of being open to doing those things is you don't need to take the Welch, you know, approach and just fire the bottom top 10% of performers. Um, I think there's there's an education component 
and uh, and making people feel comfortable and not knowing how to do something, but knowing that they'll have the support to to figure out new ways of doing something is like huge. And that's kind of the approach we take, um, trying to support people to do new things before just saying uh, you don't know how to do this. And <laughs> I know, I th and I th and I think that there's a balance to to that conversation. I just like love the fact that, like you said. He he doubled production in a, in a certain area because you said you needed more, and and just by thinking a little differently around it. Um, you said something else that I want to talk about. You talked about um, he was vulnerable. Yeah, that goes back into trust. What would you say were some of the ways that your grandfather and the rest of the leadership team, you know? What were some of the things that they did to create a culture of trust and 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 being able to be vulnerable? I mean, um, it, you know, it's it's hard when when you haven't met him, but you know, just his presence, you know, gave a very warming and welcoming, um, you know, environment. Uh, he's someone you trust. You know, the day you meet them. So, you know, just kind of like the energy he brought to the room uh, in and of itself created an environment like that. Um, but, you know, for example, me coming out of, uh, you know, like textbook finance, when sales would slow, we would get in, you know, massive arguments because I'd be like, hey, we need to cut costs here. And these are, you know, my top three recommendations for how to cut costs. And he would reject all three of them. And he would choose losing money sometimes to make sure that someone kept their job. And it took me a while to understand that. Um, and so I, you know, I think when 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 people on the people on the plant floor, you know, are are they know what's going on because they're making the products. And so, <laughs> you know, as when when that when the volume decreases, uh, they know that there could be layoffs. And when that doesn't happen um, and during slow periods and during, you know, uh, busy periods, people keep their jobs. It's, uh, you know, there's just like these kind of silent actions that, that you know, speak volumes that I think um, is really how the team and, and more importantly, my grandpa built this culture of, of just trust in uh, the people you're working with. Nice. Would you, you know, the, where would you see your grandfather throughout the course of a week? Where did he spend most of his time? A lot of it was spent walking around the building, you know, talking to people. Yeah. Um, actually, I have that on my calendar. I have like, you know, time slots blocked every day to go, you know, get up from my desk and go do that. And I don't do it every time, um, you know, but it's important to, uh, to, to really step away from the desk and just go see what's going on talk to people yeah i i i knew the answer to that just based on what you were saying it, <laughs> it's so different when the owner or the leader you know leaders are walking through and seeing what's happening and saying hello to people um it's it means a lot it means a lot that's awesome for you as you're looking at you know being the president of the company, what would you say are your top two or three 
priorities right now for the next 12 to 18 months? Pretty simple. We've got um, for the rest of this year, you know, our three priorities are hitting our shipments goal, uh, deploying our new um, ERP system and going live uh, on target, and then hitting our booked orders goal. Um, you know, I think the, the three goals that we set this year around shipments, booked orders, and, um, and, and the go live date with our ERP really embody so many other priorities in the organization, part of which is our digital transformation. Um, in the shipment side, you know, that embodies quality, um, you know, efficiency on the production floor. There's certain things we're doing there. Um, and then on the booked order side, it's, it's getting into new markets. Um, you know, being able to uh, being able to serve customers in new and better ways, and so you know, those are my three priorities. But it's it's not only you know what I care about; it's what the whole organization's rallied around right now. Um, and so you know, for the, that's it for the next twelve months. Well, shorter than that because it's our fiscal year goal, so we're uh, in our fifth month. Um, okay. <clears throat> Over, over the next 18 months, though, and, and maybe longer term, call it, you know, next three years, uh, it's really diversifying our, our product offerings. That's, that's um, you know, we, we want to, we provide right now, uh, we're really great at designing and manufacturing um, an RF tunable filter. And that's a critical component in, you know, many military communication systems and other types of wireless communication systems. But you know that component's part of a bigger architecture that has other things like RF amplifiers, antennas, um, power sources, and so trying to get into new markets and new new products is um, you know our three-year or my three-year priority. Okay. Um, running the the business right now, what would you say are some of the pain points or frustrations as you're trying to, you know, hit your priorities. What are the th what are the things that can trip you up, so to speak? Uh, so, what was a massive pain point a few years ago was our supply chain and um, not being able to get chips, uh, not being able to get a lot of components. Uh, that that put companies um, into a mindset where it was, you know, buy what you can get, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Um, and I think, you know, it seems as though many companies were slow to see the shift in uh, supply chains lightening up and are now um, oversupplied, overstocked. Yeah. And so we're, we're seeing kind of a slow in buying um, because of that, you know, oversupply or overstock um, in some of the end users of our products. So, you know, I think over the next six to 12 months, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how, how the sales play out given some of these uh, uh, customers we know have plenty of material on hand. Um, I'd say that'll be one of our challenges um, to hitting our booked orders goal. Got it. Any other pain points, frustrations that you, you know, if you wake up at three o'clock, 3 a.m., what are you thinking about? <laughs> you know, um, I think you're seeing it more and more in the news, the cybersecurity. Um, we've, uh, I, I, it's hard to compare yourself to other companies, our size. I'd like to think we're further along than, uh, than others, but at the end of the day, we're a small business 
Um, we've got 60 employees and, you know, to, to really secure your, your network and your IT environment is expensive. Um, and it's, and it's also, you know, when you're selling into the defense base requirement. Um, so, you know, that, that is a, that's a challenge for us. Um, and then the other is the business has been around for a while, which means we have some aging equipment. Um, and so, you know, making sure that we're staying, uh, you know, we're staying current with, uh, you know, the manufacturing processes um, that some of our other competitors have with potentially bigger budgets is something I worry about. Um, but, you know, we find ways to, to make things work. So um, those are some other things I'm thinking about that I wake up <laughs> for. I, pre I appreciate it. Um, 10 years from now, you're looking back. What are the, what are the, what is, what's the dreams, the aspirations for you to say, you, you know, that like it all came together. If what has to happen? Um, you know, there's no, there's no formula behind this. Uh, the biggest the company ever got was close to 50 million. Um, so I want to hit a hundred. <laughs> if we had a hundred million in revenue uh, in 10 years, I'll be pretty happy. Awesome. No, I, I appreciate you sharing. It's fun to be thinking about, you know, these things. A lot of times I, I feel that especially as a business starts to age, meaning we've been around for a while. It's thinking about, you know, making a giant leap, like 50 to 100 is a giant leap. And it's so much easier for people to say, you know, this is just what we've always done. This is where we are. This is where we fit into the world. Um, I would I, I would tell you that this would be a really fun exercise to do with your leadership team to say, what would we have to do? Take the thinking caps off. What would have to be different in order for us to be double our revenue in in 10 years? That is a really fun, you know, exercise to do with people and take the gloves off, take the, the you know, the, the we've always done it this way off and just get creative. That's, I'll uh, do that. That sounds like a really fun uh, offsite type activity. Um, but, you know, even on the, on the, this is the way we do things or whatnot, um, you know, being a 25 million or $50 million company, you know, net in 10 to 15% is a great spot to be for an owner. So, a you thousand know. percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, I never want to take anything away from anybody. People, you know, most people don't realize the, the, the tiny percentages of businesses that get over a million dollars of revenue it's yeah. under 10 percent or something you know crazy like that and when you break that that's that that 10 million dollar of revenue mark it's it's on i think you're into the one percent range on over 10 million dollars at that point so really it, congratulations hats off i was not taking anything away from it just, uh, oh, I didn't mean it as you were. I was just pointing out that, like, yeah. you know, that's a that's a decision that you know people have to make. Is like, do we yes. want to be do we want to be kind of a smaller, um, 
smaller organization that cash flows and makes, you know, the owners money or do we want to shoot for the moon? And uh, I mean, that's still a conversation we're having even as a family right now. Um, So it's uh, I think both of those are are appropriate (laughs) decisions. It's a matter of what you want. Yeah. And just like you said, you know, in order to grow, you know, it takes cash and cash cash sucks growth like there's no you know it's so much so you know you you will not cash flow probably for a while um <laughs> in, in that in a growth process to, to double over a 10-year period but yeah that's right you have, to, you have to you have to make those determinations is it worth it um from let's talk about accountability real quick in order you 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 have a culture where there's trust and there's good communication. Um, how do you know, how do you build a culture of accountability? And, you know, how, are, you know, how has the company grown this culture of accountability? You don't get, you know, people doing what they say they're going to do, you know, getting it done and you knowing that you can rely upon people. How did that happen? Uh, that's hard for me, honestly, um, because we do have a, somewhat relaxed um, and friendly culture here uh, that, you know, that doesn't always lend itself to the most accountable type of organization. Um, And so that's actually something that, you know, I'm trying to figure out um, what's right for us uh, at this time. Um, You know, we have accountability because people come to work every day and generally want to do a good job. I, I don't believe anybody shows up and says, you know, I'm just here to get through the day or I'm here to mess something up or I'm here to miss a deadline. Uh, typically, you know, someone doesn't do something when they said they um, were going to do it by because of a reason, um, whether that was in their control or out of the con- their control. Usually there's a reason and we're pretty accepting of those reasons. So, um, you know, it's finding that balance between uh like cutthroat accountability culture and uh, nothing gets done um, type of culture. And I would say that where you're at is more appropriate. I don't think, I'm not saying cutthroat, uh, you know, accountability, you, you get stuff done. Yeah, we do. You, you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing. So there is some accountability that's happening and yep, you know, we, we don't always make everything, but like, I, I think it goes back to if I had to, you know, just from our conversation, it's it's because we trust one another. The trust was probably so important that people know that everybody else's jobs is dependent on the job that I do inside of the business. Yeah, no one wants to let their friend or family member down. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there, there might be a little bit of peer pressure even. It's some, you know, healthy peer pressure. Absolutely. And, okay. and, and on top of that, um, you know, we're a really customer focused company. And so, so many of the, um, you know, every function ends up supporting the customer, whether it's, you know, sales, bringing it, bringing in the orders to supply chain, making sure the materials on time to quality, ensuring the customer is getting a good product and our engineering team designing, you know, high performing, high tech filters. Um, everybody has a, you know, has a hand in serving the customer. And, uh, I think we do a good job of sharing that. And so, you know, it's not only accountability to our peers, but to the end user. Um, actually, a cool story this past weekend, I was at a, 
I was at a wedding and I don't know if you've been on our website or seen what our products look like, but, uh, you know, they're tiny. Um, they're pretty small. They're, you know, metal enclosures, electronics. Um, there's, you know, <laughs> they're not that appealing to the eye. <laughs> it's, um, you know, we're not, we're not making the F-16. So I've, I've been wondering how can I kind of try to tie what we do here to, to the bigger picture, which is um, providing a critical component to military communication systems. And this guy I was talking to at a wedding, uh, used to use radios designed by one of our biggest customers. And, um, you know, I was asking him, do those radios ever fail? And he's like, yeah, when comms fails, we have problems. And, you know, it just kind of really opened my eyes, even though I knew this, but hearing a soldier say that when comms goes down, we have problems, you know that that piece of uh, equipment went down because of a component and it could be our component. Um, and so, you know, really trying to like tie the narrative to, although it's a small component in a bigger system, it performs a critical function and knowing that you're accountable for that, um, you know, is another element that's really important to us and probably has a reason to do why we do do things. <laughs> we get things done. No, I, I love it. I, I mean, you're, you're echoing core purpose. You know, why do we exist beyond money? You know, it's you're, you're out there protecting people, you know? Yeah, the, the, and, those... and <laughs> it doesn't always feel that way when you look at the components we're making. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it takes everybody or every manufacturer that supports those bigger programs to do their part. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I, I've said it on this show before. But uh, uh, John F. Kennedy was walking around NASA, you know, Kennedy Space, or before it was Kennedy Space Center, I guess, or maybe it was, um, and asking people, what do they do? And, you know, this person, I'm an engineer, and I'm a this, and I'm a that. And, you know, when he asked the janitor, you know, what do you do? Um, the custodian said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And at the end, you know, and it's, and, and it's a, it, it, whether that's a true story or not a true story, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it really makes a lot of sense. That's what you want in your team. And that's what you were talking about is how do I make sure that everybody knows that every one of us matters in what we're yeah. doing here? That's right. And speaking of the moon, um, we actually have a Netcom filter on the moon. So my grandpa designed a filter that was on the Apollo space capsule um, that when like a, a light was basically emitted onto the surface of the moon, which is a little metallic, it was reflected and received by a filter as part of the landing mechanism to know how far it was from the surface. So there was a soft landing. Um, that's so that's awesome. pretty cool. It's a pretty cool product. Well, probably one of our coolest products that we ever sold. That's, that's wicked cool. And I'm glad, so I'm super glad that I brought that up then. <laughs> um, what, you know, as you think about your grandfather and, and I, and I hope you get that, you know, um, this is this has been a kind of a tribute a little bit to him. He's done a really it feels that way. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> remarkable job. What would you say are his founding, you know, foundational core values? If you had to boil them down, oh, man, that's a hard one. Um, I think I think about that a lot actually, um, and. You know, I don't think I have the perfect answer, but what what comes to mind is um, just 
doing what's right for other people or being a servant, I guess, is maybe like the the most basic way I could uh, could say it. I mean, he he never, you know, he, he was never thinking about himself. He was always thinking about his family or his friends or his colleagues. Um, and he was always serving people, uh, you know, for the last um, I mean, as long as I've worked here. So for the last eight years about he didn't take a salary. Like not once. <laughs> um, there were times where, you know, the company was in a, in a, in a difficult position. He had to put money in. So, you know, he didn't do this, um, you know, for the money. He did it because he loved the people that he was doing it for and uh, that he was able to serve them. And I think that's what it all came down to. That's amazing. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, as you're distilling those things down, um, what was your grandfather's name? Angelo. Angelo. So, as you, you know, um, you, you, you can do the, the, and I, I, some some people may not appreciate this, but it's WWAD. What would Andrew do? Angelo do, and and it's so really important to remember, you know, the founder of a company and the the spirit and the everything that they brought to the table through all those years. Um, when you can hang on to that for as long as you can, um, it just helps. It just it really does help to look back. My, my I'm second generation and there are, you know, there are times when I have to go back and say, ah, I get why dad did this now. I didn't yeah. get it. There, there was times when I didn't get it. And now yeah, it's like when you're, you're, you're in that seat and you're like, oh, okay. That makes sense now. So oh, that's uh, I'm glad I had that experience. Uh, really blessed to have been able to just learn from him and, uh, and like you said, you know, there were times where I would argue with them until I was blue in the face to save a dollar. And now it's, uh, I get why we made the decisions we made at those times. That's great. Um, if, you're, if you're sitting on a panel, uh, you're the, you know, you've got third generations in the audience in front of you. Um, and they're, you're giving your advice to, you know, what is Johnny's advice for working in a family business? What are you sharing with the audience? <laughs> Um, you know, I, uh, unfortunately, um, recently lost another family member that, uh, was my grandfather's cousin and he used to always, um, although I was never a soccer player, he would always ask me, do you kick with your right foot or your left foot? Um, and I would, you know, he would ask all the, you know, younger children that do you kick with your right foot or your left foot? And I would always respond, I kick with my right foot. And he'd be like, no, you kick with both feet. <laughs> and I, you know, I always tried to understand, uh, you know, what the principle he was trying to share there was. But it's that, you know, we do what we're comfortable doing. And, and if you're comfortable kicking with your right foot, you kick with your right foot. But in a family business, sometimes you have to do things that you're not comfortable doing. And getting comfortable being uncomfortable is is really important. So my advice would be to kick with both feet. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you. Um, one more thing, and then I'll let you go. Favorite book, business book. So principles by Ray Dalio is is just there's so much. Um, there, it's just, there, it's just an endless amount of information. 
um, that uh, that I'm still trying to take in. So, you know, I think that will ultimately be my favorite business book long term, although I've only gotten through it once. Um, I think the most the more basic one that I really enjoy is traction. Um, sure. It's the entrepreneurial operating system. And although we don't necessarily follow it here, I think, uh, you know, my main takeaway from that is any system is better than no system. And so, you know, I like that book. I think that I've taken a lot of good pieces of information from it. Yeah, I think Gino did a really good job of distilling down what execution looks like and making sure that we're running uh, a smooth system inside of the, you know, inside of the business. Very, very good. Uh, Johnny Romanadakis, thank you, thank you, thank you. Netcom, um, you guys are available. You know, which, what is your website? Uh, www.netcominc.com. Netcominc.com. Yeah, you can search that link on Google. So if anybody needs some RF filters, uh, Johnny's the guy. Um, Definitely check them out. Check check (laughs) them out. I I just want to say thank you. This has been great. I love talking about this. I never know where they're going to go and what the conversations look like. But, man, I would have loved to have spent some time with Angelo and you together and just uh, um, very special. I'm glad that you got a lot of years working with him and learning from him. Um, That's just awesome. Well, thanks, Michael. Uh, This was a great opportunity. Uh, Really appreciate you having me on the show. I got to be honest, I was a little nervous when uh, I talked to Christina and there was no preparation and I had no clue where this conversation was going to go, but um, really excited about where it went and just can't thank you enough for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And we cannot wait to have you listen in on the next episode of the Family Biz Show. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Family Biz Show. We hope you've gained valuable insights and practical tips for running a successful family business. Remember, managing a family business can be both rewarding and challenging. But with dedication, communication, and a clear vision, you can create a thriving enterprise that supports your family and community for generations to come. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it. We'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Don't forget to follow Family Wealth and Legacy on LinkedIn and Facebook for more resources and updates on upcoming episodes. And most importantly, keep the conversation going within your own family business. Remember, you're not alone in this journey and we're here to support you every step of the way. Thank you again for tuning in to the Family Biz Show and we'll see you next time. content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax 
advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.